Welcome to Fake News, a fiery but mostly peaceful podcast where we dismantle the media misinformation that floods our news feeds all week long. The media tries to mislead you literally every day. Each episode of this podcast will leave you more equipped to correctly interpret the news and spot their deception quicker than before. This is Luke Taylor, an austere religious scholar, who will be your host in this roundup of the past week of fake news. So you've probably heard the phrase before, playing the race card. When I was growing up, and especially like 15 or 20 years ago, the idea of trying to make something about race, that was considered really reaching. If you tried to use race as a way to smear your opponent in an argument, we called it playing the race card. You see, someone didn't go to race as an excuse unless they just had had run out of arguments entirely and they were just trying to throw anything at the wall to see if it would stick. And it was basically an admission of defeat. You know, you didn't play the race card until you had no logical arguments left. So to, to even try, that was considered kind of shameful. It was considered a weak move. And that was just a standard that, you know, everybody was kind of okay with up until about 2012, around 2012 to 2014. And then everything changed. All of a sudden, there was this societal shift, especially on the political left, where playing the race card was was not just a last resort. It was the first thing that you turned to in your political argumentation. It became not the exception, but the rule. For those of us on the right, we know that, you know, we know it's just as weak and empty as ever. You know, most of us on the right know that. Now, there are some Republicans that are they're just so weak they're terrified of being called racist and they'll let the left use it to control them all day long. But but then you have the t- the tougher Republicans, the Trumps, the Cruises, the DeSantises. They're willing to call it out for the pathetic ploy that it is. They won't let the left bully them with it. Because like I always say, the left is nothing but cowards and bullies. The bullies on the left will berate any, everyone into following what they say and the cowards We'll just join along with them because they're not brave enough to stand against it. That's why they're nothing but cowards and bullies. And the societal shift, this really, it was about 10 years ago when it it happened, um, but it caused the right to become a lot tougher. It caused some of these weaker Republicans to just melt away every election cycle. Some of them just melt away. And that's a good thing. But I want to ask this question, why did the left change? Why did they go from playing the race card as, as, like I said, a shameful last resort, and now they've turned to using it as their opening play? Well, a lot of it had to do with the Obama presidency, the, the reaction to the Obama presidency. I'm not even going to blame Obama personally for this, um, and I'm no Obama fan. Like I, I think he was literally the worst president in my lifetime, even worse than Joe Biden. We'll see how Joe Biden goes. You can't really judge his presidency yet because it's not done. But so far, I'd still say Obama was worse. On this particular point, though, I'm not even going to blame Obama, the the person. But I do blame the reaction to having a black president has caused us to get to this way. Now, regardless of how you felt about Obama, I would say it was good for the country to have elected a black man to the presidency I I wish it had not been a black man who was as weak and corrupt as Barack Obama, but it did demonstrate a certain growth in our country, that we went from a country that had enslaved black people, that had considered them two-thirds of a person, and it turned us into a country that was willing to vote for a black person as our top leader. That, That was a really good sign for race relations in this country. It was undeniable progress. However, remember that growth in race relations is bad for the Democrats. 
because they run on racial tension. Their platform is, you know, it says that Republicans are racist, that this country is racist, that only Democrats can deliver non-white people from the, the evil Republicans. So when a black person can be born into abject poverty with a single mother, works his way into and through college, and then become successful enough that he's elected a senator, and then a president of the United States, that right there showcases the American dream. That shows that America has moved on from its racist past. That shows growth. And from there, what's left? What, what can Democrats run on anymore? You know, the NAACP, it's the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People. Well, if colored people can advance to the presidency, what is the point of an NAACP anymore? So this creates a major issue for Democrats because now they've been so successful in promoting black people that they don't have anything to run on anymore in regards to that. So their solution to that problem, which was not really a problem, that was good for America, but it was a problem for the Democrats. So their solution to that problem was to convince the public that this country is still as racist as ever. So in the past decade, they have hyped up racial tension as much as they can to try to get us back into disagreement and hatred for one another. You know, we'll do re retrospective episodes one of these days on cases like Trayvon Martin or Michael Brown. We'll do a retrospective on the lies of Black Lives Matter someday, how the left uses those lies to convince black people and to convince cowardly white people that America is still an evil, racist country who, who wants to see them fail and keep them down. They want you to forget that a black man was, was elected as president twice in this country in the past 20 years. And that's why when Joe Biden, when he's preparing to pick a female vice, pres a female vice president and he decides that it must be a non-white vice president, what does he pick? He picks a black woman. You know, why not Hispanic or Asian or any other race? Because it's very important to the Democrats to keep up with this narrative that it's the black people who are constantly kept down and that it's only the Democrats who can help them rise up. Just as an example, okay, an example here. Remember when the movie Black Panther came out in 2018 and it was considered a big deal back then for some reason to have a black superhero <laughs> with his own movie. For years, Marvel had hyped up. They're going to release a movie with a black superhero. And here's the thing, though. There had been several movies with black superheroes in the past. Like, um, in the in the 90s, there was the Blade trilogy. It had Wesley Snipes. I never saw them. But, I mean, okay, they were apparently successful enough that they got three of them. I do remember in the early 2000s, there was Catwoman that was starring Halle Berry, a, a black woman. That was, like, 2004. And then there was Hancock with Will Smith in 2008. I mean, that movie, that made hundreds of millions of dollars. But when those films came out, <laughs> there wasn't this big deal made out of the fact that the main stars of those films were black. There, there wasn't this attitude that it was groundbreaking in the world of cinema. But those movies were all before Obama became president. And that, and that was in 2008. And around 2012, the Democrats realized that if they didn't reintroduce racial tension into American life, they weren't going to have anything to run on anymore. And then, of course, Hollywood is in their pocket, so Hollywood suddenly decided, oh, oh yeah, we can't make a superhero movie with a black lead. It'll just fail. 
And and then Black Panther was considered this groundbreaking, surprising success. <laughs> you know, they were like, they were like, oh wow, yeah, we knew we could make a movie with a talking raccoon or a talking tree, but a movie with a black man, you know, they acted like it just. How did they ever think it could work? It was this groundbreaking success, right? You know, if you thought that that wouldn't work, I, I hate to say it, but you just believe this false narrative that they spun. You have no memory of the past 20 or 30 years. Um, and, and in the decade, up to Obama becoming president, you know, racial relations, they were getting quite good in America. You go back to when I was born, like 32 years ago, the, the top shows on TV. They were like Family Matters, The Cosby Show. They had black men as leads. One of them had a black cop as the lead. You wouldn't see that today. O.J. Simpson was the most famous athlete in America, a black man. The top music star in America was Michael Jackson. I, th- I think he was black at that point, too. So in the 90s, 2000s, racial rela- relations were better than ever in America. Better than ever, too good for the Democrats. And so that's kind of just a breakdown of how we got to where we are. And now... The race card is at the top of the deck in every political game that we play. And that's what brings us to the past few weeks. So Joe Biden has played the race card in his attempt to try to get this this voting bill uh, election overhaul passed. He wants to federalize, let the federal government take a lot more control of how elections are conducted across the United States. I think they call this the John Lewis Voting Rights Act. Uh, It should not be named Voting Rights Act because when they say voting rights, they act as though everybody who is eligible to vote doesn't have the right to vote already or doesn't have the ability to vote already. And that's a lie. Everybody who is eligible to vote, legally allowed to, I know they take it away from, you know, obviously children don't vote if you're under 18. Um, Non-citizens don't vote (laughs) unless you're in New York. I think they tried to pass a thing in New York lately where non-citizens in New York can vote. Um, but, and and then I think felons lose their right to vote. So, you know, some people don't have a right to vote, but everyone who's legally eligible to has the ability and plenty of time. Honestly, it's way too much time. Uh, some of this like mail-in voting stuff, they make it way too easy to vote. I, I think it's, I don't think we should be sending ballots through the mail, but anyway, so this past week, um, Joe Biden said that if you oppose his Voting Rights Act that he's wanting to get passed, he said that you're on the side of George Wallace. George Wallace was a governor of Alabama who promoted segregation. And he said anyone who's not on Joe Biden's side is actually on George Wallace's side. He said this to, you know, obviously we smear today the segregationists who stood against civil rights for black people, you know, 60 years ago. Obviously we stand against them today. But Joe Biden said if you're against his voting rights uh act that he's wanting to pass, that you're on the side of George Wallace. Do you want to know who is on the side of George Wallace, by the way? Joe Biden is, because George Wallace was a Democrat. He was a Democratic governor, because the Democrats are the segregationists. They're the ones who are always trying to put black people in their own um, in their own schools, in their own categories, in their own parts of town, trying to keep them all together in black neighborhoods. That's always what's done in these liberal cities. The Democrats are the ones who perpetuate the segregation, and they were the ones promoting segregation back in the days of Martin Luther King and civil rights, in the days of George Wallace. Joe Biden says, you don't want to be on George Wallace's side. Joe Biden, you are a Democrat. You you served in the government back then with George Wallace. When, When Joe Biden was running for president 
uh, back in the 80s because he, he's been running for president for his whole life, <laughs> half his life. When Joe Biden was running for president back in the 80s, he went down to Alabama and talked about how he and George Wallace were these great friends, how George Wallace just used to praise him <laughs> and support Joe Biden. And, and now today he says, oh, you don't want to be on the side of George Wallace, do you? Joe Biden was as friendly with George Wallace as anybody. But he uses that today to smear the people who want to go against his Voting Rights Act. And what does this thing do? What is this Voting Rights Act supposed to do? Why are Democrats promoting it? Well, they, they say that—we're um, hey, going to come back to this idea in a few minutes. But they say that you shouldn't have voter ID in any states. And they say that um, there's this thing about handing out water to people who are waiting in line at the, at the polls— uh, the, it, I, I think that's kind of a smokescreen thing anyway. But there's a there's a thing that says, oh, you know, people who are campaigning for election can bring you water bottles while you're waiting in line. You know, Republicans say you shouldn't be campaigning at the voting booths, but Democrats want to make that legal. There's this stuff in the Voting Rights Act about ballot harvesting. Can someone go like to a nursing home and pick up a bunch of ballots and and just bring them to the to the voting place? And then that's you know, considered sketchy because you don't know who this person is who's picking them up. They could be filling them out secretly on the way. If there's some blank ballots, he could, he or she could be filling them in however they wanted. So Republicans want to make these elections more secure. And they want to make it, they want to make it where you can't just do this ballot harvesting, where you do need to show voter ID, prove who you are whenever you go to vote. And the Democrats don't like that. And I, I don't, there's no logical reason why except that it seems that they want to make our elections as not secure as possible. And they're already saying, if they can't get this Voting Rights Act thing passed, that the 2022 elections will not be legitimate. And we'll talk about why that is in a minute, but here's the thing. The media never asks the right question when it comes to this stuff about like, uh, they're, they're mad because Georgia, you know, Georgia went for Biden this last time around, but then the Republicans in Georgia passed some stricter voting restrictions. Didn't make anyone who's eligible to vote didn't make it to where they can't vote, but Georgia tightened up some of their restrictions so you can't do the ballot harvesting and the handing out campaign water bottles in line, handing out food from campaigns in line. They made it to where you can't do that anymore. But you know what? Georgia has the same laws that a lot of liberal states have in regard to those things. New Jersey doesn't allow you to do that. New York doesn't allow you to do that. But why did Democrats throw such a big fit and introduce this new voting, so-called Voting Rights Act why did they introduce it in regards to, to Georgia's new laws? Why are they okay with New Jersey and New York doing these things? Why does the Major League Baseball boycott, boy, boycott Georgia over this thing? Well, the reason is because Georgia is a swing state. Georgia has potential to go for either candidate, election by election. So that's why they don't like it that Georgia is having stricter voter laws. That, so that's why they say, oh, we want to make it to where you can't ask for voter ID. You shouldn't have to prove who you are whenever you go to vote. You shouldn't have to be able to prove, you know, prove that you're a citizen. Prove that you are not someone who's not supposed to be there when you go to vote. They say that it's racist to ask for an ID whenever you go to vote. And yet, my whole life, Democrats have made this claim, but they have never once explained to me how it's racist to ask for a voter ID. I mean, I've literally heard Democrats say before, well... Low-income people can't get IDs. As <laughs> if they can't afford a $10 or $15 ID, they say, oh, well, if you're a low-income person, you can't take off work to go to the DMV and get an ID. 
Which to me is just racist to assume that it's something black people are incapable of doing or that all black people are low income. There's no, there's no logical reason it's racist to ask for a voter ID. They'll say sometimes, oh, well, it's because voting is a right. So therefore, it's racist to ask for an ID to vote because it's a right. What does that have to do with racism, though? You know, the, the Constitution also says owning a gun is a right. I'm sure any Democrat out there would still think that you should show an ID to buy a gun. And I, by the way, I think so, too, as a Republican or conservative person. I think you should show an ID to buy a gun. I don't see what's racist about that. So why is it racist to exercise your right to vote by sh- with showing an ID? Never had that question answered for me. If it's racist to ask for voter ID, why why isn't it racist to ask for ID on anything else? Like when you fly on an airplane or open a bank account. Is, is, isn't that stuff racist too then? Because you need IDs to do all that. Or what about in Washington, D.C.? You need an ID now just to go into a restaurant. That's a new COVID rule in D.C. right now. To go anywhere in public, you need proof of vaccination as well as proof of ID. But you don't need an ID to vote (laughs) because somehow that's racist to ask for an ID for that. So if you're one of these people who thinks that voter ID is racist, I'm just going to say you've fallen for a lie. There is nothing racist about it. There's nothing racist about the Georgia law. There's nothing coherent about this philosophy. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that voter ID is racist. But if you disagree, email us. Tell, like, tell me, how is it racist? I truly want to hear from you. If you can explain to me what I'm missing, why do you believe that voter ID is racist? If you say that black people are incapable of getting IDs, you need to explain that to me, okay? Explain it to me. Just send me an email, fierybutpeaceful at gmail.com. Our email's in the show notes. Email me. Tell me how I'm wrong. Explain this to me. But I think this is all a smokescreen. I think they are trying to deflect away from why they're losing the House and Senate later this year so that when they lose the House and Senate later this year, they can blame this. Say, it's oh, it's because we couldn't get our voting rights thing passed to ban voter ID. Politically, this is really smart of the Democrats because it gives them, it gives them two ways to win. Trump did this all the time. It's his politically smart move. Two ways to win, no ways to lose. So here's how they can win either way. Either they get their voting bill passed in which case they can change some election laws, ban voter ID, whatever they want to do. It might not help them save the House and Senate, but it would still be a win for them right now. They could say they got this thing passed. So that's a win one way. And if they don't get it passed, they can use it as an excuse for why they're going to lose later this year. So then they can claim that the 2022 elections weren't legitimate because they couldn't get their voter ID thing passed. But, you know, the thing the thing they kicked Donald Trump off of Twitter for, for claiming as well as other people like Mike Lindell, the, the MyPillow guy, however you say his name. You know, and I I disagree with Trump and Mike Lindell's conspiracy theories because 90% of what they said was false. But they've had their freedom of speech limited by these tech companies for something, for something that Democrats have always done and will apparently continue to do. So I don't see any legitimacy to this claim that voter ID is racist. If you can explain it to me, send me an email. I would love to read your theory or explanation, and I'll respond to it here on the program if you want. But I I have never had anyone explain to me how voter ID is racist. I've tried and tried to look it up. It's just a it's just a hoax. It's just a claim Democrats make that there's nothing to substantiate it. Unless they want to make the comment 
if, if their stance is that black people are too incompetent to get an ID, I mean, I guess they can make that case if they want to. That's not something I've ever thought about black or non-white people. I've never thought they were too incompetent to be able to do that. That's not my stance. So they would need to explain to me why they think that, I guess. Because <laughs> that's never been my perspective. When I hear voter ID, I just think, oh, that's a more secure election. It doesn't, it doesn't trigger anything in my brain that makes me think, oh, this or that race could or couldn't vote now. I mean, I don't know. I don't know anybody who doesn't have an ID. So to me, it just makes it more secure that only people with IDs who should be voting, who can prove their identity, can vote. Makes sense to me. I would tighten up a lot more than what Georgia did. I would I would get rid of all this mail-in voting and all that. But okay, so anyway, there was another major problem with Joe Biden's press conference that he did this week. Um, after he gave a press conference, I think it was Wednesday after he gave it, the, the hashtag 25th Amendment was trending on Twitter because it was too obvious to America and it was too obvious to our enemies around the world that Joe Biden is just, he's not cognitively with us, okay? Um, like we, we typically play a message from our president on the show and, and we will today. Uh, and you know, I usually just find a 10 or 20 second clip of, of gibberish that we catch him spouting each week. But um, this time I want to do a little bit longer. I'm gonna do a two minute clip. I just think it's important to see how he struggles to connect his thoughts, okay? And um, just listen to this, okay? When you hear long pauses, when you hear the long pauses here, no, it does not mean that your podcast stopped playing. That silence is the sound of the president's brain at work. So let's pause here for a message from our president. School reopenings, or closures become a potent midterm issue for Republicans to win back the suburbs? Oh, I think it could be, but I hope in God that they're, uh, that, look, maybe I'm kidding myself, but as time goes on, the voter who is just trying to figure out, as I said, how to take care of their family, put three squares on the table, stay safe, be able to pay their mortgage or their rent, et cetera, uh, has, is becoming much more informed on the um, the motives of um, some of the political players and some of the And the political parties. And I think that they are not going to be as susceptible to believing some of the outlandish things that have been said and continue to be said. You know, every every president, not necessarily in the first 12 months, but every president in the first couple of years, most every president, excuse me, of the last presidents, at least four of them, have had polling numbers that are 44 percent favorable. So it's this idea that, but you all, not you all, but now it is, well, Biden's at one poll showed him at 33 percent. The average is 44, 45 percent. One poll him at 49 percent. I mean, the idea that um, the American public are trying to sift their way through what's real and what's and what's fake. And I...
Yeah, aren't we all just trying to put three squares on the table every day? Just three squares a day, right? Um, that is just two minutes of sadness. That just literally makes me sad to listen to. That this, But you know what? Democrats, I'm sorry, Republicans were pointing out all the way back in the primaries that Joe Biden's brain is gone. Joe Biden's brain had just <laughs> is deteriorating, not just in front of us. It, by the time he started announcing that he was running for president, he was already feeble, old, decrepit, struggling to string words together. This is not like actually new. It might have got worse in the past year, but it's not a new phenomenon. Republicans have been pointing this out all along. Democrats have been in denial about it. And then after this press conference came out, only the second, the, only the second pre press conference he's done as president, and now we see why, after his second press conference, a year into his presidency, came out, 25th Amendment is trending on Twitter the next day. <laughs> I'm more confident than ever with my radical prediction of late last year that I don't think Joe Biden's going to make it to 2023 as far as being president. I don't think he's going to make it that long. <laughs> I think we'll have President Harris by Christmas. But anyway, I'm going to stand by that for now. We'll see. So um, we're going to move on to another story here. Uh, I know I spent a lot of, as always, I spent a lot of time on the first one. I'm not going to do that many stories today because I was not planning to do an episode this week. As I'd said in the last program, I wasn't, I was going to skip this week, but um, I do have a little bit of time to do a shorter program. So that's why you're getting a shorter program today. We're doing a shorter one right here. Not going to do all the segments that I usually do, but I had a little bit of extra time to do one because um, I've been shut in a lot this week. It's been a really cold week. Okay. The high was 33. The low was Joe Biden's press conference on Wednesday. So I felt that I had an opportunity to come on here and, and do a short program with you. We're going to go on to, let's just do the fakest news of the week. And it's only our second story, but the fakest news of the week is going to go to NPR for a story they did on the Supreme Court. In fact, let's make this a beyond the headline segment. So NPR puts out a headline uh, talking about one of the Supreme Court justices, one of them appointed by, tr by Trump, uh, Neil Gorsuch. It says, Gorsuch didn't mask despite Sotomayor's COVID worries, leading her to telework. Okay, so we're going to read the article. I'll comment here and there. <laughs> I, I hate the way this even starts. This is supposedly an objective news article. It starts off, It was pretty jarring earlier this month when the justices of the U.S. Supreme Court took the bench for the first time since the Omicron surge over the holidays, all were now wearing masks. All that is, except Justice Neil Gorsuch. What's more, Justice so Sonia Sotomayor was not there, choosing instead to participate through a microphone set up in her chambers. Sotomayor has diabetes, a condition that puts her at high risk for serious illness or even death from COVID-19. She has been the only justice to wear a mask on the bench since last fall, when, amid a marked decline in COVID-19 cases, the justices resumed in-person arguments for the first time since the onset of the pandemic. Now, though, the situation had changed with the Omicron surge. And according to court sources, Sotomayor did not feel safe in close proximity to people who were unmasked. Now, I just want to note right there, they don't say who this came from. It just says, according to court sources. This is anonymous sources. And the media just always expects you to take them at their word when they rely on anonymous sources. But like I've been pointing out on this show, you just can't trust them when they use anonymous sources. It gives them too much power to claim whatever they want, and it may have no relation to the truth. A, a reporter under oath 
does not have to give up anonymous sources. They're allowed to keep anonymous sources private. I do not think the vast majority of time that journalists just make up something and slap anonymous source on it and claim whatever they want. I don't think that happens the vast majority of the time. But there's potential that it could happen. It happens some of the time. They make up total crap sometimes. And they say, oh, it's according to anonymous sources. Or this article here, according to court sources. But it doesn't say who they are. So they can claim whatever they want and no one's held accountable for it. So they're claiming here, the sources supposedly, the reporter is claiming, that Sonia Sotomayor did not feel safe in close, close proximity with people who were unmasked. And then here's the next line of the article. Chief Justice John Roberts, understanding that, in some form asked the other justices to mask up. They all did. Except Gorsuch, who, as it happens, sits next to Sotomayor on the bench. So they say that Neil Gorsuch refused to mask up, even though the chief justice requested that everybody wear a mask. The article continues, His continued, continued refusal since then has also meant that Sotomayor has not attended the justice's weekly conference in person, joining instead by telephone. So they're saying that Sotomayor is not coming to the arguments or whatever. They're not sitting near anybody because she's worried about Neil Gorsuch not wearing his mask. Okay? That is what this NPR article is claiming. That she's just joining by telephone. Okay. So this article came out three days ago. Um, I'm recording this on Friday. So it came out like on Tuesday, I guess. NPR reports this. And it really only lists three players in this little story, this little narrative that they've drawn up. Neil Gorsuch is this meanie, meanie bad guy who won't wear a mask even though John Roberts told him to. And so now Sonia Sotomayor is not attending the oral arguments. Well, the Supreme Court rarely does this, but they actually put out a statement in regards to this article. They rarely comment on this stuff in the news. And they put out like a three-sentence statement, which is <laughs> really brief and to the point, and it totally discredits the whole thing. So here's what Gorsuch and Sotomayor, they released as a joint statement. Okay, and here's what they said. Reporting that Justice Sotomayor asked Justice Gorsuch to wear a mask surprised us. It is false. We may sometimes disagree about the law, but we are warm colleagues and friends. That's all that the statement said. Just a short little three-sentence three statement to totally discredit the NPR report. And NPR said, nope, they're lying. We stand by our reporting. <laughs> this is a false statement is what they... NPR said, we're not going to retract what we said. We are going to stand by it. And then John Roberts also released his own statement on Wednesday. And he said he did not request Gorsuch or any other justice to wear a mask on the bench. So just to add more or to take more credibility away from this NPR report, okay, just to stand with the other people on the bench with him. They said this is all totally made up, totally fabricated story, no truth to it at all. All three of the people who are listed in the article claim that it's not true. Still, NPR refuses to recant the story <laughs> because NPR is fake news and they get the award for fakest news of the week here on our program. And by the way, if you read the whole thing from NPR, it's really just a hit piece on Neil Gorsuch and the conservative justices. It just talks about how nobody likes Gorsuch. He's, you know, this is just the kind of jerk he is. Uh, he makes things so tense on the court. It's so tense on the court right now because Donald Trump picked three justices and that's made it so tense on the court. That's what the whole thing is all about. 
And But here's what I love about this story is that the reaction to it, you see the cognitive dissonance in action. I did a, a, on my other program, um, Cross References Bible Study. Um, if you if you look that up, if you like Bible studies or just really dig the sound of my voice, you can look that up. It, it's my other podcast. It's called Cross References. And I just did a whole episode on cognitive dissonance as it relates to stuff in the Bible. Um, and it was like our most popular program so far. So uh, anyway, I did, cognitive dissonance, you can see it in action. And that's when someone is trying to basically hold on to two ideas or really they want to hold on to one idea but it's being confronted with reality and they want to hold on to this comfortable belief. So they do anything they can to reject reality. That's what cognitive dissonance is. So you see journalists, not just at NPR, but all over the place. Cause they all jumped on this story. When NPR reported it, they all re-reported it. Joy Reid over at MSNBC, CNN, CNBC. They were all crazy about this story because it confirmed some of the narratives they're always trying to put out. That, you know, conservative people are evil. That Gorsuch is evil. That there's this tension on the court. They want to, it helped propel that narrative that they're always promoting. This belief they have in their heads. But then it was confronted with reality. No, we're reporting that there's tension. But then this statement comes out from the justices that says, no, we are warm colleagues. We disagree about the law, but we are warm colleagues. Well, it's really hard to hold on to that idea when you have this other juicy article that's talking about how Gorsuch is evil and there's all this tension and they won't sit next to each other. You know, that's cognitive dissonance right there. So you see a lot of journalists who are going out and they're claiming, oh, well, we we believe what NPR originally reported. (laughs) You know, even though all three people listed in the story say it's not true. And even though NPR has no named sources willing to go on the record with this. But you see journalists are like, nope. We, we're not gonna we're not gonna believe the statement from the people actually involved. We're gonna believe what NPR said that they think. And you have the cognitive dissonance in another way. You know, a lot of people believe, oh, I am smart. I know how to interpret reality. But then you have this statement coming out that says, oh no, you fell for fake news. Well, those are two conflicting ideas. You don't want to hold on to both of them. So you see a lot of journalists rejecting the idea that they fell for fake news. And they say, oh, no, 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 I am smart. I am smarter that I know. I know what the justices were thinking. I know why Sotomayor wasn't there. It's because of evil Gorsuch, regardless of what she even says. The reporter from NPR, he tweets out, (laughs) this is what he tweets out. I surprised, that's actually what he said, I surprised. He tweets out, his name's David Gura, at David Gura on Twitter. I surprised at how many Supreme Court correspondents I admire are passing along a statement from two justices that is at best false without any context whatsoever. <laughs> so he says the statement's false. That he writes an article about what Sotomayor states, or what he wrote an article about what, what Sonia Sotomayor thinks, and then Sotomayor puts out a statement saying that no, this article is untrue. We were surprised at the article because it's not true. And David Gura puts out a tweet saying, oh, their statement is false. (laughs) So NPR's stance, I guess, is that the Supreme Court justices are just lying and that they actually said what he said they said. So (laughs) that's why NPR gets fakest news of the week. All right. Well, like I said, shorter program today. We're going to do one more thing. I'm not going to do a thing that happened I'm not going to do some of our other segments, but I will do What's Racist for this week. Everything is racist. 
So this week, you might be surprised to find out that M&Ms are racist. M&Ms are racist. Yeah, so The Hill has reported this. Lots of places reported this because this was kind of a, a big story. I didn't have a What's Racist for the Week last time, so I'm glad we could include one this time. Speaking of including, um, so The Hill reports that M&M's characters are going to become more inclusive. Candy is about to get more inclusive, with the maker of M&M's announcing its famed characters are getting modern makeovers and will have more nuanced personalities. Mars Incorporated, the company behind the colorful candy-coated chocolates, announced Thursday a global commitment to creating a world where everyone feels they belong and society is inclusive. <laughs> <laughs> the Eminem's characters are supposed to propel this. And then the article goes on, as part of the new mission to increase the sense of belonging for 10 million people around the world. I don't... 10 million people around the world. I don't know who the 10 million is supposed to be. I'm not sure who that's even referring to. Sense of belonging for 10 million people around the world by 2025. Mars said the Eminem's characters, who serve as mascots of sorts for the brand, would be receiving fresh new looks. Okay, everything I've been reading, by the way, it's not a joke, okay? That comes from The Hill. Um, the old style of M&Ms has been deemed too racist, okay? And I actually, personally speaking here, I have a little bit of an inside scoop on this. Um, I was invited to be part of the research team. So let me let me give you some of the backstory to why M&Ms needed a, a reimagining. You see, they always thought of the orange M&M as a black dude. So they always thought that they had some representation there in the lineup. Um, nobody ever asked him if he was black. They would just all kind of assumed, you know. And then they, they walked into his room one day, and they found him listening to Candace Owens. And they're like, oh, crap, he must be white. And then their other longstanding black M&M, uh, it was the red one. But then they found out that he voted for Trump in the last election. If you have a problem figuring out whether you're for me or Trump, then you ain't black. So they had to take his black card away, too. And so that left them in a little bit of a bind because now they realized that none of the M&Ms were people of color. I mean, they were all people of color, but none of them were colors of people. I don't know. Anyway, and, and then they also thought, what about your gay or your non-binary M&Ms? So they told the purple M&M that they were going to gender bend him. He's supposed now to represent the transgender community. So instead of being voiced by a dude, he, now he's going to be voiced by Brian Stelter. And the blue M&M decided to start identifying as a trans Skittle. But that was actually considered way too progressive for Mars Incorporated. So he got fired. Uh, he now has a job in the White House. I mean, he's only a tour guide, but I think they're considering him as a replacement if Pete Buttigieg ever steps down. And then I suggested that the yellow M&M try to become a brown M&M. And they, t they told me it doesn't work that way, you idiot. And, and I was asked to leave the meeting. And so now, I actually, I typed all that before I read the actual article. And then I did read the actual article. And I'm going to say, I don't think it's much crazier than all the stuff that I just said. So let me read to you from, this is from the actual Hill article, okay? And again, reality here, it's about to get even stranger than fiction. So here's what the actual article says. The green M&M previously seen in ads, posing seductively and strutting her stuff in white go-go boots, will now sport a pair of sneakers. A description for the green candy on the M&M's website says she enjoys being a hype woman for my friends. <laughs> it says, I think we all win when we see more women in leading roles, so I'm happy to take on the part of supportive friend when they succeed. 
the green M&M said on the promotional site. I, if reality keeps this up, <laughs> it's going to put the Babylon Bee out of business. <laughs> I, I guess that's plan B. Because the fact checkers, they keep trying to get the Babylon Bee shut down for misinformation. But I guess that hasn't worked. So I don't know. Maybe the left has decided now to try to make reality as insane as possible. So that the Babylon Bee won't have any material left. Maybe that's what their scheme is. I don't know. We're going to go ahead and close down there for today. Thanks for listening to Fake News, a fiery but mostly peaceful podcast. This has been Luke Taylor. And by the way, if anyone tells you that you can put three squares on the table, that's just fake news. 